Good morning again. We're uh, coming to the end of our series going through um, talking about wisdom. I hope that it's been encouraging to you. We have been looking at wisdom with kind of a robust lens, um, as I think it's presented to us in Scripture, that, that wisdom really is about living well that it's about abundant life. It's this invitation into living life the way it was designed to be lived and that Jesus came appealing to us, inviting us into this greater way of living. He referred to it as the kingdom. It's like a transcendent set of rules that come down um, that, that sometimes contradict our basic intuitions, that, that sometimes we, we see life through a very narrow scope and that wisdom is trying to expand our view, getting us to see and recognize more. And that it's a process. It's something that, that we build upon. We don't just become wise immediately. It's oftentimes slow work. The, that the way into it is, is not this eager passion, but, but really what comes down to humility an openness and acceptance, a trust to follow God. And as we do, we grow, we mature. And last week, we talked about this passage in 1 John 2, where he kind of identifies different stages of growth. And he uses kind of our child development into older age as uh, kind of a metaphor. And, and maybe it's one of those metaphors that might actually happen and coincide in actuality, that our spiritual lives may grow like our human development occurs, but, but maybe not. Some people become a Christian like me when they're four years old. I was like little tiny dude praying with my dad to accept Jesus into my heart. And um, some people find Jesus much later in life. And wherever that begins, so begins this kind of progression that if you're 70 years old and you become a Christian, you're this little child in your faith. And it's wonderful. And it's a stage that oftentimes as we look back on, we go, oh, I cherish the simplicity of that, the beauty of that but that life inevitably does change and our faith changes as we grow and it goes through different stages. And the reason I point this out is that I think sometimes we've failed to understand that, that wisdom is where we're all being called to go. But without a sense of intentionality and openness, we will certainly grow old, but not necessarily all become wise. So how do we do that? I'm going to read last week's passage just for perspective here because I want to kind of go in deeper on, on this later stage of faith that John identifies here. And so in 1 John 2, 12 through 14, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And we talk about these kind of distinct stages of faith, and yet it's probably all for us sort of a continuum, and, and probably we, we might find ourselves going back and forth sometimes between these stages. But this first stage being one of this forgiveness and intimacy and if you've gone through that process of accepting Christ or meeting him for the first time, you probably can go rewind the tapes back and remember the sweetness of that. I, we had a young adults gathering this week, and I was sharing about learning this passage of Scripture. And by the time I was done, my dad said, if you can 
recite this back to me, I'll buy you a Bible. And I remember that Bible, still have it on my shelf. And I go, oh, that was like such a tender, sweet time in my journey. But what you find is as you grow, that you enter into this more complex dynamic of our faith where we, in a sense, go into battle. It's about struggle. It's about challenge. It's about perseverance. It's about boldness even. Learning to step out in faith. Learning to to share truth where it might feel uncomfortable. And this is a beautiful stage of faith, um, but it's not the final resting place. And I think sometimes we think that, that we sort of stay our whole journey in this combat mode. When in fact what we see is wisdom is, is moving beyond this young man into this father, beyond this young woman into this mother. And that this journey is much more about remembering Isn't it interesting? That's the word that John uses twice. That you're remembering that that this God has been the same from the very beginning. And, And the reason this is important is I think sometimes our understanding of God feels like it's shifting and changing along the way. And I think life does this. We see different aspects of God in different stages of our life. But trusting that this God is pursuing us helping us see him in his fullness. When we talk about a robust faith, God wants us to really know him like he really knows us. To know this deep truth. Hebrews 3.18 says, uh, Jesus Christ is, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But, but sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we see different sides of who Jesus was, this incredible comforter. And then at other times, he's like flipping over tables in the temple, right? So you go, this is Jesus, a robust understanding of God's heart. And as we go through our life, we get to know all these different sides of him intimately. And as we're drawing to a close of our wisdom series, we we have this one beautiful gift of, of wisdom being understood through this lens of remembering an encouragement to us all to remember to not lose sight as we go through. I talked about early on this idea that's been in psychology for a while, but I, I think it was Arthur Brooks is the one who I read about this, who talks about fluid versus crystallized intelligence. Do you remember this? That, that fluid intelligence is this ability to sort of think abstractly outside of the box to come up with these new ideas, right? And they go, that generally peaks in human beings somewhere in your early 20s. And sometimes we go through our whole life trying to pretend that we're still fluidly intelligent, right? And we're struggling. It's like an aging athlete still out there trying to prove that they got it. And unless you're Kelly Slater, you probably don't, right? But (laughs) Kelly's 50, still competing, still doing fine. But most of us, right, we similarly peak early, And this idea, instead of a crystallized intelligence, is what Arthur Brooks is recommending. And he says, coincidentally, it's this thing that generally brings a deep sense of meaning and joy and peace to life. Crystallized intelligence is really just another way of talking about wisdom, perspective. And you cannot shortcut the process. It comes from having seen and discerned over time. 
And sure enough, here's John saying, the, the fathers are the ones who see broadly and remember who God is all along the way. And if we don't disengage from the struggle at some point or, or learn a new sort of battle, if we just stay in kind of fighting mode, we, we can get to the end of our lives having gained the world and forfeit our soul. I always think of that Netflix documentary on the bulls in that interview with Jordan at the end of where he's talking about like being denied a seventh world title, right? And you can see here he is like later in life just dying over the fact that he wasn't given another shot. You know, one more, one more trophy. I could have done it. You know, and I don't mean that to sound so judgmental as much as to say at some point if we don't shift gears, we can get stuck in that mode. That, that we're practicing in the fr- middle of our lives a sense of going for it, giving it our all, that that's actually a good thing in a stage not to be skipped. And yet we spend the later part of our life in this posture of emptying. And if you're one of the young people here, this, this isn't something that you need to rush ahead to necessarily. It's just good to keep in mind that where we are at is in God's progression for each one of our lives, his story, his plan. What we do is we lean in in the moment we are at with God accompanying us as he shepherds us. When I was reading through this in 1 John again, I I was reminded so much of Jesus' teaching on the parable of the prodigal son. I was thinking similarly, you kind of have these three different voices in that story, don't you? You've got the prodigal son who in some ways we think is what the story is all about. Although then we have an older brother introduced to us who maybe is really what the story is about. Followed by a father who maybe really, really is what the story is about. And so I just wanted to read it to you guys this morning as we look at this and understand stages of faith, think through this idea of remembering and focus our attention here today on the Father, the Father whom we receive love from, but also I'm going to suggest the Father who we are ultimately to emulate. And so this is from the book of Luke chapter 15. I don't have it in my notes. 15, right, Greg? Okay, here we go. Verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many are my father's hired servants who have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is the wisdom of the world. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran 
and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what, are these th- what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came and has devoured your property with prostitutes and you kill the fattened calf for him, and he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, is your, this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. And we're left here with a cliffhanger, right? We, we don't know how this story ends. We have an, an older brother standing outside filled with resentment. And when I think of this, and I, I kind of use John's lens of young children and young adults and fathers, this, this idea of seeing each of these, you have got this child who leaves, and we know this story well, right? That, that it's... Not just a dismissal, not just entitlement, but he's like basically saying, you're not my father, right? He takes this inheritance and says, essentially, I wish you were dead. You're dead to me. Dad leaves. And like the fool in Proverbs, ends up in this place of destitution. Works out some sort of deal in his head, some sort of arrangement to kind of buy his way back in, in like a lower rung in the family and And what you love about this story is this whole spiel is just irrelevant. That the father has has set a boundary, right? That he says, I'm not going to go drag, in this case, his son out of the mud. He's going to wait. But at the first glimpse, he's like off and running embarrassingly, by the way. Fathers don't do this. They don't behave this way. This is like a complete lack of dignity as he runs. He brings the ring and the robe, which are not just gifts. They're ways of restoring sonship. This is this picture of forgiveness. This image for all of us, that that all of us have stood in that place to some extent. We maybe didn't do things as dramatically as that, and yet all of us have on some level sought independence, desired our own way, whether that's control or the pursuit of passion. All of us have ended in this place of deep brokenness, questioning our own belonging. In this early stage of faith is this affirmation that you still belong You're still my son who is just lost for a while and is now found. What a beautiful glimpse at God's heart 
The first lesson of the story continues to be the lesson for us that we hold on to, forgiveness and grace. And this offer here of this joy of the Father, that that when Jesus says abundant life, that is what he's talking about. And then you have this older brother who is maybe at a different stage. He's, he's remained. He, he hasn't gone this way of, let's just call it, debauchery. He's chosen instead some form of religion, right? He's figured out a whole metric on how to be the good son. And he's been dutiful and responsible. And the truth is, this is beautiful, He's been a good son. And yet all of a sudden here, he's confronted by this grace and he's not having it. That that he's at a different stage of his faith where he's being invited to celebrate God's grace for somebody else. And I don't know if you're like me, but that can be hard. When you see somebody else thriving and being blessed and God pouring out and you find yourself there going like, hey, wait a second. Have any of you felt that way? Yeah. Yes. Like, dang it, what? Like them? Like, and I've been trying so hard over here, right? Like, and to live in that place where you can just celebrate generosity across the board, that requires so much security. And the insecurity and the self-will you know, will and our need for control, all those things get violated. And, and this is the point, is that that older son is being invited to go deeper. All this has been his all along. But maybe so caught up in duty, in performance, in doing or acting like the right thing. And so comparison gets him. That resentment grows. And so he starts talking about your son, right? Not my brother. Man, I I wish that the church stood in contrast to this kind of thing, right? But this is hard for us. Who is in and who is out? Where is the line? Who belongs and who doesn't belong? Who's my brother and who's not my brother? And we see here this picture of God's love that... God's sons and children are much broader oftentimes than we're willing to let in. We have our own little metric in which we weigh these things. And God welcomes the prodigal in and restores him. But then equally he comes out and welcomes the older brother in and says, please come in, share in the joy. Your brother is found. And this love of the Father, right? This is, to me, when we are seeking to understand what is, it, what is at the basis of this, right? That this older brother doesn't understand God's love, nor does the younger, but this forgiveness is a picture, but also this loving rebuke, a part of God's love. And God's love has this strength and this compa- compassion combi- combined. I, um, 
was recently just going back through Nowen's book on the return of the prodigal, and he really just takes Rembrandt's painting and, and kind of theologically unpacks that for about 120 pages. It's really beautiful. But he, um, there's the, the painting, if you've seen this before, and, um, which is just a fantastic one. But when, when Nowen gets to the father, he goes in close on the hands. And, um, you know, artists, like, they see all these things that I never would have seen, right? But, but, but now it's going, it's two different hands. That there's a father's hand and what he would call a mother's hand. Some have thought the father's hand is Rembrandt's own hand. And now and writes this, he says, as soon as I recognized the difference between the two hands of the father, a new world of meaning opened up for me. The father is not simply a great patriarch. He's a mother as well as a father. He touches the son with a masculine hand and a feminine hand. He holds and she caresses. He confirms and she consoles. And those two hands, right? They like two sides of who God is. And sometimes in our brokenness, right, we find God showing compassion that we can't fathom. Other times in our life, that hand might come in a little stronger, doesn't it? And it's supportive and it's protective, but it also asks more of us oftentimes than we're ready to give. That these two sides are both sides of God's love, the love of the Father. And this feminine love of God's is often something that we have difficulty wrapping our head around. But if you're wondering, is this biblical? It it absolutely is. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 49, 15 through 17. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. We were at a wedding yesterday, and um, Josh Burns got married, um, if you know Josh. And um, by the way, John and Tammy, who are watching from home still, love you guys. Congratulations. Um, Josh was a kid in my youth group, so fantastic to watch him grow up. But um, as Josh is dancing with his mom, right, like I just, and Patty's like, and then she like leans over and goes, just to be clear, I will be dancing with all three of our children at their wedding. <laughs> Which is so good, right? I like go, it's like that fierce compassion for their children and that deep affection. That's the metaphor. That's the image we're being given, that fierce parental love of God. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. I love how that image of this um, hand covering her chicks is... What, what Jesus is going to pray when he looks at Jerusalem with, through a, eyes full of with tears. Saying, oh, how I love, longed to love you like a mother hen 
covers her chicks. Such a beautiful verse, a beautiful demonstration. And I was thinking about that going, in many ways, this is a sort of Christ-like love, but, but in a way, in here, like, let me be a little nuanced, that's not necessarily Jesus loving as Jesus, but Jesus loving as the Father. And that this is our trajectory. This is our, our road that we're taking is to learn to love others with such a love. That we, we talk about church being a safe place, but the truth is God's love is a safe place. But that we as a church have that assignment to make this a safe place. As people are struggling and hurting, as people are burdened and broken, Do we extend the Father's love like those wings and those feathers covering those chicks? And John's telling us the way to to do this for others is to remember the way that God did this for you. And we kind of come up with this older brother way of going, well, how do I get the love without having to give the love? How do I get forgiveness without having to forgive? How do I receive grace or peace without the pressure of extending those things? And Jesus is really clear, you don't. In Matthew 6, he says, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins which startles us, right? That sounds so contingent, right? But, but I think really Jesus is saying that's kind of the physics of it. It's just the way it works. Like to receive grace, it has to be done with this humility. And that humility doesn't hold on or clutch. That fu- humility is just open. So when you receive it that way, it's going through you. If you come in in some sort of religious arrangement, making some sort of appeal, he's going, that's just not the way grace works. Grace has to, it requires this posture of the heart that just surrenders. But that heart that is surrendered is going to celebrate that generosity, whether it's coming to you or to others. That's the place we're invited to be. That's the place of abundant life. That's the place where joy becomes complete. He's going, all mine is yours. We've always been together. Now it says the elder son's dilemma is to accept or reject that his father's love is beyond comparisons, to dare to be loved as his father longs to love him, or to insist on being loved as he feels he ought to be loved. And all of us try so hard to to be worthy of love, to create this value. And most of us have learned how to fake it to, to look more valuable than we really are, right? This is, we're const- this is what Instagram's for. <laughs> like to put forward the image of what we want people to see that we deep down consider worthy. All of us come up with our own spiel in our head of like, okay, God, this is why you should love me. This is why you should forgive me. These are the reasons why. And he's like, doesn't even let the words get out of our mouth, right? He's running towards. And 
And as we walk this road of wisdom, we're being invited deeper and deeper to have this heart of the Father. But what it involves at first is this humility to just receive. But later, this ability to lay comparison aside. To just celebrate God's love wherever it shows up. Without insecurity or inferiority. Without jealousy or competitiveness. That's really hard work. It's hard to let go of. And see, the goal is not to just be the older son that comes back into the party, although that's a huge step forward, but, but to go, if we really want to love like the Father, then we have to see life this way. We have to learn how to do this. He's saying, learn to love your brother the way I love my son and the way I love you. Receive it fully and then give it. And this is the thing that I believe, and this is what I kind of week to week keep advocating, is that God is shaping your heart in this way. So the real question is, do you see it? Are you looking? Are you yielding to it? Are you open? (laughs) This last week, you know, I talked about last Sunday about this soldier in us that um, we get to decommission. The one who just wants to fight. And it's easy to preach that. I, three different times this week, I came across people in, um, you know, well, we live in Mayberry, this small little town. (laughs) So uh, some people that have left some deep wounds in Jeff that are still healing. And none of you, by the way. That's if I ran it <laughs> wasn't anybody here. And um and had an opportunity to pastor them to extend affection or love or compassion, whatever that was. And each one was like so good, so freeing, so liberating. And God has done so much work in my hearts, right? And I'm like, I'm all there, like 93% there. (laughs) And there's like 7% that's like, no way, man. No way. Like we have some things to clear up first. And when you see the Father, right, he's not talking about accounts to be settled. He's not talking about like, hey, let's talk about the conditions of this, right, this sort of generosity. But then he goes, guess what, Jeff, you get to do that now. And you're like, no, I, I want to eat from the table. I want like a goat to give my friends, but like, I don't want to love in a way that I lose or it just costs me. And the Father goes, oh, that's, no, that's the good stuff. To love in a way where part of you dies, that part that needs to die. The part that's still like insisting on getting its own way. Like, how do I do that? And John says, 
Well, just remember. Remember when you were that one coming in brand new, so broken and bleeding. Remember that kind of love. Don't forget it. In this costly later stage, we remember that we're still a child. And God beautifully comes in all along the way throughout our journey in very different ways and encourages us in different ways. One of my favorite examples of this is from um, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, The Horse and His Boy, if any of you have read this book by Lewis. And it's this story of this young boy, Shasta, who's fleeing to get back to Narnia, and he's this talking horse is taking him there. And, you know, I love all this stuff, right? But you have these lions that keep showing up all along the way, at times terrifying him, right? Like intimidating him. And then you have this one scene where he's lost and alone in this graveyard, and this little cat comes and sits in his lap. And then he's trying to place, you know, all of these things. And at one point he meets Aslan, the lion. And as they're talking, he's going, gosh, there sure were a lot of lions along the way. And Aslan says, that's me. And he's going, wait, that one that was chasing me back there? And Aslan says, I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so you could reach King Loon in time. I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death. So it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. I love that. He's going, I was there all along the way, even when you didn't see me. Even in all these moments. And part of the remembering is like, oh, you got to pay attention. And too often in our life, we're like, oh no, a lion. And God's like, just trust me. Even in these circumstances that feel out of control, like I'm there, I'm your father. Let me love you. Remember that. Job is going to put it really bluntly. He says, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. And God is like so generous to this younger son and then kind of firm with the older son. He, he doesn't bring him out part of the feast and be like, well, here, eat it out here. He's like, no, the feast is there. Come inside. And to receive this father's love, to be able to give it requires receiving it. And to receive it, we remember. That's what the wise do. I had this, this, <laughs> I probably shouldn't share this. This is going to be like one of these wacky dreams that I had this one time. And I was watching that show Severance late at night. And that like, I don't know if you've seen it, but it leads to some really weird dreams. It's these people, I like, get this technology where they can split their lives into two and they, it's like two people. You got your work life and your, anybody watch this? Just me. Okay. Oh, all right. Um, so so in this, one of the characters, a tiny little spoiler, one of the characters gets woken up in his later life and all of a sudden sees his kid who he doesn't know. And it creates this like 
all this internal turmoil for him. And so I went to bed and had this dream and it was my daughter who I was trying to see. And it's going to sound so bizarre. Dreams always are goofy when you share them. But, um, but in this dream, I all of a sudden was able to see my daughter. And it was my little daughter. All of a sudden that face there, so vivid. It was her, right? She's like 18 now, but there she is like four years old. And it was so vivid. And I woke up just sobbing, going, oh, my little girl, right? And I think what was so good for me about that is because now she's 18 and just doing her own thing. And it's hard, right? All the parents of young adults are like, no kidding. But, um, But now I see that little girl like all the time and like we've been going climbing on Mondays we go to this climbing gym and and I drop her back off at school and she like doesn't get out of the car right away and like just puts her head on my shoulder and I'm like oh it's my tiny little girl she's still like four years old right like I still see that but I think this is what God sees when he looks at you he just goes oh honey Oh, my little one, my child, they're like dirty face, you know. And that love of God, it's so inviting, right, that you go. It's to be celebrated no matter who that's pointed towards. And that love doesn't change if God's lavishing somebody with grace. This beautiful response should fill our hearts with joy. That's the invitation. And God's going, guess what? You get to do that now. You get to lavish people with grace that they haven't earned or deserved. This doesn't mean, by the way, just living in some toxic thing, right? I'm not saying lower all your boundaries or just live in all that brokenness. Or There's a lot of things that we need to be very careful to set really good boundaries with. And the Father does here too but this grace that just pours out of him. It's going, this is what the wise people do. They've chosen to remember. They understand that they will always be that little child in their father's eyes. But to look at others and see that little child, to love that child, to pour grace on that child, because that's who we will always be. Now it says the father's free and spontaneous response to his younger son's return does not involve any comparisons with his elder son. To the contrary, he ardently desires to make his elder son part of his joy. And as we struggle in this and as we we learn to yield our hearts in these situations, we become more and more and more like the father. John 15:11 Jesus says these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full Psalm 16:11 says you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore And for all of us we are invited to enter into this banquet We're invited into this generosity to receive grace. And so this morning we get to go to the Lord's table and receive. And what are we told to do? Remember, to look back, to think through our lives, 
all the ways God has shown up all along the way. All of us are invited to simply take and eat. That's the gift. It comes with grace as we remember the deep love of our Father. Some quick questions. You're not off the hook. Questions to go deeper. Who is it that I find myself incapable of forgiving? How might I first reflect on what I have been forgiven of? Does this soften my posture of withholding grace? Two, where do I struggle with jealousy and comparison? How is this keeping me on the outside of joy? What part of me has yet to respond in humility? And what would this cost? Number three, is there a part of you that continues to resist God's love? Are you able to identify what that is? Does there continue to be elements of control you refuse to relinquish? And how is God inviting you to let go?